Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Busy show. I'm glad to be back this week. Hope you had an excellent Mother's Day weekend. Hope you all had a fantastic Mother's Day yesterday. I know that you know most of the time this involves a lot of driving to here and there. It did for me yesterday, but I was glad to do it. It was a beautiful day. Got to hang out a little bit in GC. Um, I got to catch a snapping turtle like I was Turtle Man from Kentucky. Thing tried to bite me. I said, I'm trying to get you out of the road here, brother. You're in the middle of this gravel road and somebody's going to squash you and then probably boil you up and like serve turtle soup or something. I'm trying to help you out. I want to see you live to about 120. Or my grandchildren want to see you live until about 120. So I got to do that. I uh, got to shoot live on uh, Fox 59 from Owen County yesterday, which is always really good. So, yeah, just a lot of good, solid family time that we soaked up yesterday. And I am hoping that you all did the same. I did carve out a little bit of time. And it was too bad. I say this all the time. It was too bad both teams could not go down in the flame fashion in which Philly did yesterday. But at least we got to laugh about that. And that was pretty funny. It'd be more funny if both of them could go down that way. That would be hilarious. And then throw the heat in there. That would make me laugh. Uh, Last, we had to set up for one, and it was the uh, processed Philadelphia 76ers. They're still waiting on the process. Process. (laughs) The process. I don't even know. This is like part two or three of their process. That's a great process you got working there. See, that's what I was talking about in terms of the Pacers and thinking that a lot of you would not wait. And let's flat understand this. If you thought it was going to be a disaster and then you witnessed somewhat of a disaster or just a bad season all the way around, you would probably struggle with this. But again, what the Pacers did is show you signs of being better sooner rather than later and reasons to have hope. It got you enthused. And that's what the Colts need to do. Hey, listen, Philadelphia wins. Philadelphia has the MVP. 
But Philadelphia has yet to win at the level in which everybody there has expected. So, Doc Rivers, other than seventh games, okay. I've never minded Doc Rivers as a coach. I used to love Doc Rivers, honestly. I thought Doc Rivers was a good television analyst, too. Those were the olden days. Uh, As far as that is concerned, the seven games, or the seventh game of seven, not so kind when he is coaching them up. And I know Jason Tatum, 51 points, and I know the uh, Flamingo dude here held up the sign. A lot of you were sending me pictures of this yesterday, and that's just kind of the M.O. of the dude. He's got a lot of money and a lot of connections, and that's how he chooses to spend his time. And if I had a lot of money and a lot of connections, I wouldn't want you trying to dictate to me what I would do. I guess it's somewhat like Marlon's man. Except he doesn't have his hat on backwards or sideways or whatever. Kind of like that. But you have seen that guy around before. I, I guess to me, the moral of the story when people were sending me this yesterday, and I forget what his name is. It's Matt something. Uh, but he was synonymous with the winning Pacer days of holding up signs, uh, being on TV. And I think cameras caught him yesterday a couple of different times in Boston at the TD Garden during that Game 7, and that's just how he chooses to spend it. It's all good with me. Maybe that should be a little bit of motivation to have him want to come back here and get on TV and hold up a sign that says, hey, Mom, I want to see Jason Tatum or whatever. Maybe that's a little bit of motivation around here. That's what everybody needs. But that guy's done that at least from the time that I have have known of him. So that, to me, was absolutely non-surprising. The meltdown of the Sixers yesterday was spectacular. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on, too, I'm sure. And again, all these will have bits and pieces to do with what is going to be a very interesting offseason. So Monty Williams, it took Matt Ishbia, the new owner of the Suns, all but, what, 48 hours or so to decide that uh, that was not going to be workable moving forward. And then Kevin Durant, Lands in another place in which the coach gets punted. (laughs) And again, these guys know that too. It is incredible the level in which you have to win to sustain a gig in the NBA. And believe me, I understand this. It is not close to being that much about the coach as it is that much about the players. It's not. Or that much about those that assemble the team. But it's not that much about the coach. I don't know what Monty Williams could have done better in that situation. They were still going to take a beating. I guess maybe not being embarrassed in that closeout game at home in the fashion in which he was two years running, mind you. But again, those guys know what they're getting into when they're getting into it. Is that too easy to say? That's why they get paid handsomely? Uh, Nobody's going to cry about this because he's going to move on and probably get another choice gig, maybe in Milwaukee, whatever. And it is all good. But somebody's going to take a fall for that. Somebody's going to have to fall on that proverbial sword right there. I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't have to do it in Philly. 
But normally, and to think about it too, had Boston, I mean, we, I mean, think about what they thought about their head coach just a couple of games in that series prior. I mean, who knows? Who knows? It is always about the coach, and the coach is always going to be the first one to go. I mean, all you got to do is double back to around here with Frank Reich. I mean, sure, Frank Reich wasn't, like, coaching up magic around here, but at the same time, the guy that put together the team just kind of goes skipping through the garden of give me another year. I'm sorry, skipping through the garden of giving me three more years. So we kind of knew what that was about at the time. Somebody's going to have to go, especially after that New England game. You knew somebody was going to have to go. And it certainly wasn't the history of Jim Irsay to do that in the season as he did. But the coach is the one that goes. And then, yeah, Frank Reich. Nobody's crying for Frank Reich. He's a head coach in Carolina now. Gets Bryce Young as a quarterback moving forward. It is weird how it seemingly always works out that way. Or at the very least, close to working out that way. So you got that news. You got that NBA news. Alex Golden going to be here coming up at 430. We got a big night. I'm going to try not to emphasize it too much. So the NBA draft lottery is coming up. See, I anticipate things around here. I try to think about stuff before it happens. And not because I want to seem like I'm some genius, because I want to anticipate the tone and the Q&A we're going to have the next day. So, for example, you got the draft lottery. Those ping pong balls are going to be floating or have floated or prepared to float coming up tomorrow night, right? So, on Wednesday, the tone of the show will be, hey, they were right where we thought they were going to be. More than likely, that will be it. Or if they move up, and especially if they move up, well, they have a 6% chance. I mean, come on. What's a 6% chance? (laughs) No. don't, Don't use my college love life as an example, okay? Give me examples of a 6% chance. James, check it out. Give me good Googled examples of 6% chances. The Pacers have a 6% chance to hop up there and get Victor Wembayama. And there was a really nice ESPN.com article about him. About his parents growing up in in France and you could see early he was about it was like he like he was on his youth team and there were like three of his teammates like stacked on top of one another would have been his size. I think he was dunking he was dunking on eight foot goals when he was still in his crib. But it's a really good story. I think Winhorse is a part of it and somebody else. Anyway, a 6% chance of moving up would be like dot, 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 question mark. James looked that up. Again, not my college, love life, or dating, anything like that. You had a 6% chance of having a date. Okay. I lived through it. I don't need to go through it again. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
but a 6% chance. No, I want to get back to my point, too. My point is this. So I would go, let's just say, for example, that's good fortune. The, the Pacers have had some good fortune recently. The Colts haven't had really any. And I know what you're going to say. Well, what about Anthony Richardson? You don't know that yet. I don't know when was the last time that the Colts had good fortune. Give me some good fortune. The history of good fortune of the Colts. It just hasn't been there. Even in games this year, you start out great. Minnesota and Dallas, you look great. Uh, only to be incredibly embarrassed, and especially in Minnesota on a Saturday, to the tune of one of the great embarrassments of all time. And uh, don't give me the whole Jeff. Well, Jeff Saturday's not the head coach, so that's good fortune. I know they had no other choice. And still, some of you jackasses had to mess that all up with that stupid petition. So that wasn't good fortune. That was just a logical conclusion. So the Colts haven't had any good fortune, but I will say this. The good fortune for the Pacers, you have seen it. You've seen it. I know what you're going to say. There's not really a great deal of evidence of it. They haven't made the postseason. But again, you saw moments where you believe that Tyrese Halliburton is a good fit here. That's good fortune. Uh, Everybody finally listened to me regarding 33. He got extended. That's good fortune, right? You guys agree? Good fortune inside the lounge via YouTube Live. That's good fortune. They were fortunate enough to listen to me. I'm sorry. I still laugh. It is fantastic that Chad Buchanan, remember Chad was on a couple of weeks ago, the Pacers general manager. And you know, one of the first things I asked was, and you really, you really get a feel for that after how Phoenix went out in that embarrassing fashion. Right. And now they're looking at Deandre Ayton. Now, what are you going to do with this guy? You're either going to focus on him more or you're going to try to take him out of the equation altogether with not a great deal of leverage and options. So good luck with that. But now, getting back to Chad Buchanan, when I went over him regarding 33, and aren't you glad that Phoenix matched that? That's just a, that's great for you guys. And then he sent me a Miles Turner jersey the next day. I, I come down here to the front desk, and there's a Miles Turner jersey down there. That, see, that's cool. That's cool. That's good. Because we can get hardcore and be critical, and that part's funny. It's the same thing with Chris. Like He didn't send me any merchandise, but I'll give Chris this. Chris came on the show, and Chris knew prior to the combine that it was me suggesting that it was time to go. And certainly answered different questions than were asked of him 30 minutes prior at the combine at the press conference. So there's something to be said about that, right? I mean, I'm fair, they're fair, and I think that's all you guys are looking for is that that fairness, fairness. A lot of people get the whole truth lost into this big name-calling act. Oh, you know what? I just speak my mind. I'm speaking the truth, and that's what you are. No, that's what you believe. But, you know, when you have a credible back and forth, that's what you guys are looking for, especially on live local radio and in a fashion in which you will not get anyplace else. 
But getting back to my original point regarding tomorrow night and the draft lottery, it will either be, hey, this is what we thought, this is where we thought we were going to be, or you guys will come down on me because you'll say, hey, I told you that it was smart to tank. I told you that the whole tank was the right thing. I told you, Mr. Getting Sick and Tired of Entertaining Losses, that this was the better tack to take, the better path. So that's what that hinges on. And believe me, I'm not like, well, hope that that 6% doesn't cash in so you guys get all mad at me because I got sick and tired of entertaining losses. Now, granted, entertaining losses, certainly, at least they have the entertainment value, but we've all together become way, way too familiar with L's around here. And at some point, that has to cease. So hopefully they're on the right path. So there's, those are going to be the differences coming up on Wednesday's show. Because a lot of you, if they get a chance to move up and move up to where, let's just say move up in the top three, not, for example, the 6% to get to one, but just move up in the top three, that will make everybody around here very happy. And what that will do is solidify your thought all the way through that entertaining losses are good. So the tone that will be set from tomorrow night will be very interesting in the afternoon show coming up after three on Wednesday. You got any six percenters over there, James? What do you got? Uh, Like in terms of... Do I have a better chance if I were to go right now, if I were to go lather up, take my shirt off, and jump into the Gulf of Mexico, I don't know, around the Emerald Coast where I go hang out, Cape mm-hmm. Sandblast, would I have a better chance of winning the NBA draft lottery or be, being uh, uh, bitten by a shark? Oh, I'd say bitten by a shark probably. I think so. I have yeah. a better chance to get a shark bite than probably. I would win the drunk. I'd say, at least for me, to keep it kind of local, I'd say the Colts probably have a better chance of winning next year's Oh, we don't have, have probable. I mean, i, I got to have close to exact here. Now, those aren't your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Those are the numbers you're looking at right now? Oh, uh, that's, that's just me. This is uh, okay. me off the top of my head. All right. I need like 6% out there. Solid 6%. What would happen? Would I have a better chance of winning Sexiest Man Alive 2023 in people? Or the Pacers getting number one overall? Would I have a better chance of selling out Gamebridge Fieldhouse for a lip sync show? Or the Pacers getting number one overall? I think you could sell out Gamebridge. The shock bite is interesting. The shock bite, especially there this time of year, it's kind of interesting. We'll see coming up tomorrow night, and then again, we'll recognize that tone from you coming up on Wednesday's show, I'm sure. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace will join us coming up at 4.30. We'll talk a little bit more about that. You know, it's funny around here, like I work for folks. I'm a part of an organization too. Like I do this job, I do the job on Saturday night and I do have liberties. They let me have tremendous liberties, a wide berth to say and to talk about things for three hours here. They do the same thing on Saturday night. They just say, you know what, just do whatever you want to do. We're hard capped. 
the rest of the time in music, but go ahead and do whatever you want to do. You know where I stand as far as voice tracking is concerned. Local radio, that is so lame, I hate it. And I understand, I know everybody does it, but I don't care. I think it sucks. We get into this knowing that there are certain hours of the day where you're going to be working. There are certain holidays of the year where you're going to be working. And you just, you you lose such touch when you're not on live. That's why I love doing this. That's why I love being out because then you can really soak it up. And that's, that's what local radio to me is all about. Delivering to you something that nobody else can. Or as I've said before, delivering to you something that nobody else cares to deliver. Nobody's willing to. Nobody cares enough about what you care about around here, like us. And the same, I think, holds true to music on Saturday. I mean, you're looking around the dial. There's nobody live. Everybody's voice tracked except for me. I'm live. We have a hell of a party for six hours. And then I check out at midnight and that's it. So I hate voice tracking. And again, they give me those liberties on Saturday. I have those liberties right here. But it's within certain parameters, right, of those that I work for. And the same could be said for John Moran. I mean, everybody that wants to say, well, John Moran, he didn't really do anything illegal. But the problem is his team, nor the National Basketball Association, and especially those that employ his services um, as far as a pitch person, don't want to see this dude like waving a, glo- a gun in the club, which probably is illegal, or really waving a gun anywhere. They don't want to see that. So why in the world would you you have put yourself in position as a player to be one of the best? And why you feel it's so necessary? to so hijack your career right now in the fashion in which you're doing. People are saying, well, somebody's got to intervene. Somebody's got to help. I'm going to tell you, while I believe in help, I would always want help myself. It comes down to the person. And it comes down to decision-making. And if you know that is wrong... If you've already been suspended for it, if you've gone through a program and you know that that could have some sort of dramatic effect on your career at the moment, your career in the future, and even for you personally, you know, what you strive to be as a player. You have all these gifts that I love basketball. I got zero gifts, (laughs) nothing. The only gift I got was a big dog turd on the front porch on fire. That was the gift I got athletically. I love basketball, though. He's got all these gifts and could be front and center, one of the best out there. As a player, he is. But people are suggesting you know, others have to intervene, others have to step in and you know save him from himself. He, he's got to recognize this at some point on his own. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Well, that's not against the law. What is he really doing wrong? In terms of those that employ him, if they view that as wrong, 
I don't know what's written in the contract. I have no idea. I'm just guessing that they probably don't want it. And that's where you're going to stake your claim. That's where history will define you. Nobody's going to be able to help this dude out until this dude helps himself. I don't know what that entails. You know, make a mistake, then you come back, and then you do it over again. Then you get a bigger punishment, I'm assuming. I, do, I love watching the, the dude play, but I can understand that that affects how people view. So, again, all those around him, especially when the, the whole Pacer dynamic of the Pacer traveling party in the loading dock beneath the FedEx Forum and the laser, red laser light pointer coming out of his vehicle. I mean, you're trying to get past all this, and then you continue to hijack, you continue to sideswipe yourself is beyond me. But again, you could get, I don't know about his family, I don't know about his friends. Certainly those with a financial stake in him Staying out of trouble could say something, but at some point it's going to come down to his simple decision-making, as it does with all of us. Get to that story coming up a little bit later on, too. Mark Sheldon of MLB.com, he's going to join us on the show. We'll talk about the National League Central, the Reds, the rest of Major League Baseball. I saw that A's game the other day. Literally, I think there are more people in this studio right now than there were at that A's game. It's incredible. Yeah, that team's going to end up in Vegas. And good for them. Kind of sad for the A's because they do have a pretty strong history. And you know me, like the whole Billy Bean thing and Moneyball, I, I can take it or leave it. I think it's a great story. I think it's a great movie. But they never really did win anything out of it. I didn't like him in the 80s, but yeah, they were all, you know, roided up dudes. And I probably, I probably embrace it more than anything else is because of what the Reds did to them in the wire to wire season of 1990. But prior to that, you know, the swinging A's of the 1970s. And this apparently is how they're going to end up going out. Uh, very interesting right there, to say the least. The uh, IHSAA will adopt new rules for free throw shooting. Have you guys seen this? So instead of seven to the bonus, which would be for non-shooting fouls, a one and one, and then ten for the double bonus, where you get two for any common foul thereafter, now it's going to be five and five and five. And after the fifth, you're going to shoot two. <laughs> you guys are going to call me old fart here. I know you are. And the suggestion that has been made to the IHSAA is that in these one-on-one rebounding situations, they have they've seen injuries. They can they believe they can curb injuries. At least that was what I saw in Kyle Neddenrip's piece as far as the reasoning behind it. And I'm sure that there are more if somebody else comes up with it. I, for some reason, it's just me. Can you just not hit your free throws? That impossible. What's wrong with that? Like, I like the one and one. 
I like the one and one. That's compelling to me. Somebody had mentioned a little bit earlier they felt it was gimmicky. I, I feel it's compelling to me. I do. I like the one and one. I may stand alone on this, and maybe it's because I'm older is the reason why I do stand behind it. And I understand why you couldn't do that the entirety of the time because you would have hack a bad free throw shooter issues all over the place. But you know, part of me understands the strategy of basketball, and part of the strategy of basketball is understanding your shortcomings, your limitations, and trying to improve on that. And to me, a large portion of that uh, can come from this in free throw shooting. All right, so you're not a good free throw shooter and you're at the free throw line, then get better. I don't know if I'm so much worried about an uptick or a level of injury coming off that first miss of a one-and-one, that rebound off the glass of a one-and-one, as much as I would be about, all right, so you're just going to kind of put your hands up and eh, smooth the game along down the line. I I like the one-and-one. I especially like the one-and-one in the NBA, and I know the whole hack of thing. We saw that. What did we see that? I know, James, I got to hit a break here. We saw that with, uh, I think Spolstra was doing the hack of somebody thing the other day, right? I believe. Uh, I mean, I, I know Hackershack. That's what I remember. No, from, no. But... Spolster is doing it with uh, with uh, uh, Robinson oh, of okay. the Knicks. Yeah, he right, was doing right, that. Right. And you know what Robinson did? You guys watch that? Now, you can only do it until the two-minute mark, but you watch what Robinson did? Hit a couple free throws. Just a thought. Sure, we'll go over that coming up tomorrow with Greg Rakesrow when he joins us. Mark Sheldon, MLB.com. Alex Golden setting the pace. Jake Query. Alex Pillow was your winner of the GMR Grand Prix. We'll talk to Jake about that. We'll talk to Jake about practice and qualifying this weekend and poll day this weekend in anticipation of the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Jake joins us coming up at the top of the hour. I have 500 tickets. I have Aerosmith tickets to give away. I've got room for your calls inside the lounge via YouTube Live, HD Radio, the stream, the app, and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake Query, top of the hour. Alex Golden does setting the pace. Draft lottery. NBA coming up tomorrow night. Is it a 6% total chance or six and a handful of... uh, uh, tenths of a percentage. What is it? I've been seeing 6.8%. 6.8. everybody. 6.8 would have been approximately the, the total of my grade point average. Trying to think. If I were going to go, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, five years of college. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood right there, 6.8. Not an average, mind you. (laughs) Total. Not an average. Alex in the 4 o'clock hour. Mark Sheldon, a little MLB from MLB.com. Specifically, what is happening in the National League Central? Um, Cubs fans. 
Didn't hear anything from you this weekend. Was it a bad weekend, Cubs fans? All in all? I know I'm not allowed to say anything, but our good friend Tucker Barnhart plays on that team. Yeah, I saw the, the two consecutive losses to Minnesota. So you guys were paying attention to, right? Yeah, the National League Central right now is a little bit weird. Yeah, when you think about it, the last two games for the Cubs, they lost 11 to 1 and 16 to 3. Wait a minute, the math there, that'd be uh, 27 to 4. <laughs> Sounds like a Colts game last year. Hold on. Man, not even that bad. But yeah, Cubs, yeah, not a good weekend right there at all. Thank you very much. JMV, I like the one and one so much better than the old three to make two rule in the NBA. I we're one of the few out there probably would remember the old three to make two. Yeah, I don't have much of a problem with it. I, I like the one on one. The hack of stuff, I will admit the hack of stuff can get to be a pain. But I don't know if I want to go five fouls every quarter and then start shooting two free throws either. That's just me. Uh, Andrew says, you have a better chance to sing on stage with Bell Biv DeVoe than the Pacers get the number one pick. That is a good six percenter right there, Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah, you got another player? That was after we were off the air on Friday. What's his, is it uh, McKenzie and Bacco? Is that his name? Former Duke recruit. One of the top talents in the nation. I don't know what this is going to equate to. I mean, really, I kind of look at IU situation. This is what you had to go out and do. Now, if you really wanted to feel good, then you would be you know, bringing in or they would be bringing in some shooters for everybody to feel better about. But, you know, you look at IU just kind of going about their business as as you had to. And we'll see if that translates or not. But they had to do it. You're looking at, speaking of the draft, you're looking at in this draft, you're probably, at least according to some of these mocks, and they have Trace going... Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of of after 20. And uh, some of these I've seen has Hood Shafino going in the teens. Uh, You are losing a lot. And when you lose Trace, the production, people are going to say, well, you know what, did not translate to winning. Uh, Well, without it, what would it have translated to? You don't want to find that out. What would have been the translation without it? And that's what you're trying to sidestep this year. But much like what we're going to see with Anthony Richardson, I don't really know what you're going to get until you see it. And I think it's pretty clear that that Mike Woodson can get guys in. Can he and his staff coach him up to be productive and win at a higher level? I don't question how he can get guys in here. You got to take that next step. I just don't know what they have right now. You just got a lot of, oh, wow stuff. 
Uh, we'll have to see. But it is exactly what they needed to do. And it looks like they can go out and get some guys in that transfer portal, which, as we've talked about, we talked about this with Jeff Rabjohns last week. This is going to be of the utmost importance long-term moving forward. Recruiting the transfer portal. And I know a lot of people are going to go kicking and screaming with that. And it's not like I'm sitting here embracing it a great deal, but I do understand that that is going to be part of the have-tos of the gig now. So we're going. All right, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, where evidently Lick said something smart. Write this date down. What date is this, please? It's May 15th. May the 15th, 2023. Let it be known that inside the lounge via YouTube Live, Lick said something that equated to smarts real good. Well done. Well done, Lick. Lounge via YouTube Live. Watch, listen, participate like Chris is at 239-1070 right now. Chris, hello. Yeah, so I wanted to take up the John Morant thing. I get that it's legal to do what he did. But I am someone who is very pro-Second Amendment, and I would never put myself on the Internet holding a gun for any reason. And I don't have millions of dollars at risk. I just don't understand it. I just had to put that point in. Yeah. And, and hey, Chris, thanks for the call. And, and everybody says, well, he's got to get help here and get help there. And talking about the intervention thing, he just, he's got to make better decisions. He's a point guard, shooting guard. That's what those guys are supposed to do make better decisions. So I'm going to put the onus on him to make better decisions. No question about it. And believe me, to move forward, the line is drawn in the sand. And clearly, your team nor the NBA wants that. I mean, if you want to go play someplace else where that is condoned, then more power to you, do it. If you want to get a Nike shoe or if you want to get somebody else's shoe, if a tonic is out there and will let you endorse a shoe and you can do that, then do it. I don't know if a tonic is, exists anymore. Man, I wore those Akeem Olajuwon tonics back in 1986, and it was the most uncomfortable shoe. In, there's no way that Akeem Olajuwon developed the dream shake in those shoes. No way. Hey, Bob, give me something before this break. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Boy, it's been a long time. You know, we have the, unfortunately, deceased friend of Rusty. You know? Oh, is that Rusty the Mole Man? Yeah. I can, let me you know tell me. you this. I, I talked about Rusty the other day. He is he was such a fantastic dude. But I've got moles running roughshod all through my yard right now. And I, not only do I miss him as a friendly conversation, but I miss him for a job well done. Oh, totally agree with you, buddy. Totally agree with you. Yep. So, hey, I I had to tell you, I was thinking of you last Friday on my job. I go around and work on some electronic equipment, uh, like some of these, um, you know, Bitcoin machines when they have issues. And I had to go down to the, you know, God's country down to Bloomfield. 
and I passed the Eastern Green Middle School heading down there. Right. And I'm like, you know what? It brought your name to my mind. Uh, I was right there. I um I I got I had to I got a lot of stuff got a lot of uh, uh, missed a lot of recesses right out there where you passed by right there because I didn't get stuff done. Yeah, I had to go down to Huck, so that's, <laughs> that's where I went. I love Huck's. I love Huck's is right up there to me with Casey's General Store. That's two of the best. Their chicken is amazing. Hey, they'll give you Godfather's Pizza like there's no tomorrow right there. So you know it's legit just by that. Yeah. Go out with a chicken breast and an all-meat Godfather's Pizza. (laughs) That's a Mother's Day extravaganza meal like nobody else can offer right there. Bob, I appreciate you. (laughs) Okay, see you, buddy. Love Hux. Hux is right there with Casey's General Store. So, I, right there. And no doubt, my man has to make some. He's, I don't know so much if he needs to surround himself with better people as much as, I guess, to start with, that's how you make better decisions. So, you start right there. Yeah, you can surround yourself with better people all you want, but ultimately, it's going to come down to your decision. I just, it is just ridiculous. How evidently he wants to completely sideswipe his career. I I wouldn't even pretend to try to understand that. Not at all. Quick break and we'll return. Thank you, Bob, for the call. Mark Sheldon, Alex Golden, Jake Query, all still to come. Aerosmith tickets, 500 tickets too. Don't leave. The Ride with JMV. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. (laughs) It'd be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Alex Golden in the 4 o'clock hour, setting the pace. It's uh, Mark Sheldon of MLB.com coming up after 5 today. Jake Query is in the 4 o'clock hour. Alex Pillow was your winner in the GMR Grand Prix on Saturday. Seemed like a lot of people out there enjoying it. That's fantastic. Now, somebody sent me this a little bit earlier. It was in a response to a tweet where city council members proposed a, quote, no turn on red legislation here downtown. Red lights here downtown. In an effort to improve pedestrian safety. I don't know if there's any way you can improve anybody's safety if they're rolling around on these scooters, by the way. But that said... And I just found out today that this was illegal. I had always turned, after looking both ways and nobody coming, I had always turned left on red out onto Capitol from Market downtown. And I asked this morning if that was legal or if that would be described as a moving violation. And evidently it's a moving violation because it is a Market's two-way If I were turning off a one-way, turning left on red onto a one-way, then I could do it. But evidently, a two-way street, I cannot. And that's going to cost me about three minutes, I think, trying to get home. But at that particular intersection right there, that's Market and Capitol, right in front of the State House. You have, obviously, the southbound traffic on Capitol. 
but they can be held up at a red light. You have to look left because the red line could be bearing down on you if you're not careful, but I am. And then you have to watch out for many a pedestrian as well. But I got to thank folks for telling me that because I guess I didn't learn that in 1985 at the Eastern Green High School Driver's Ed summer course. Of course, down there, we just go wherever. Red, yellow, green, stop sign, gravel road, dirt road, through water, <laughs> whatever. We just go everywhere down there. We don't doesn't matter. But I did not know that until today. Thank you very much. JMV, dang, as a broadcaster, I like the one-and-one. One. gives a team the ability to come back late if you want to eliminate injuries. If the first of the one-and-one is missed, it's a dead ball and change of possession. Ball to be inbounded under basketball, uh, under the basket of the team that missed. Shout out to Tony Donahue with that logical thinking right there. We're both trying to to maintain the one-on-one. One-on-one through seven fouls. And then double bonus after ten. I was fine with it. I don't know why it has to change. Quick break, and we shall return. Mark Sheldon, MLB.com. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace. Pacers in the draft lottery tomorrow night. I hope that it is as worth it as a lot of you told me it was going to be if I just shut up about hating entertaining losses. I hope that it's as worth it as you guys told me back during the season. Hour two starts with Jake Query and your chance to win Aerosmith tickets coming up too. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich of Dr. Pepper. Make it fast. I'm going to damn hurry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Alex Golden setting the pace bottom of the hour. Pacers in the draft lottery. 6.8% to go number one overall. You may have a better chance to jump in the golf down in Florida and get a shark bite. But we'll see. The Pacers have had some good fortune. The Colts have had zero. Pacers have had some good fortune. We'll talk about that with Alice Golden coming up at 4.30. Mark Sheldon, MLB.com. Specifically, the Central and the rest of MLB with Mark coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Indy 500 tickets. Alex Polo, the GMR Grand Prix over the weekend. But we have 500 tickets for you, and I have Aerosmith tickets for you coming up as they say, see you. What do they say? Peace out? Peace out. I think they say peace or peace out, right? Is that their peace out tour? Oh, Aerosmith? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Or do they mean peace in another way? Huh? Kind of what they meant in get a grip in another way or love in an Uh, elevator. Okay, I see. I get what you're saying. Mr. Tyler, going down. You know what I mean by that? I do. I do. They don't need peace out or peace out. Got a ticket for you coming up with Aerosmith. Regardless, your chance to see them is coming up, too. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pylon, a great call, along with his colleagues on the IMS Radio Network on Saturday for that aforementioned GMR Grand Prix, won by Alex Polo, Jake Query. He does join us. All right, I got to ask you a really serious question here. You ready? Yep. If I put two cans in front of you, one was Dr. Pepper. The other was Mr. Pibb. Which one would you drink first? Uh, Mr. Pibb. Based on the nostalgia of it. Now, I will say that 
I am a diet soft drink drinker. Yeah. And I believe Diet Dr. Pepper is the closest facsimile it is. there is to the legit. But when I was a kid, I don't know when Mr. Pibb came about, but I was a huge Mr. Pibb fan when I was a kid. And then there's the Pibb Extra, which I think the marketing leads me to believe is more caffeinated. I have no idea if it is or not, but I would go with Mr. Pibb. You ever noticed that Coca-Cola, even when they fouled everything up in 1985 and then doubled back, they still had the king of the soft drinks, yet Pepsi-Cola always had the better supporting cast. That's a that's a really good point. Damn straight. I, I agree with that. Although Sprite <laughs> was pretty solid, right? Did you say that? But I would but, say uh, this. I think Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew would still far surpass anywhere Sprite can go. And then you really, you really fall off the ledge after Sprite. I, I'm... I'm Truthfully, and I have nothing against it, but I'm a little stunned that Mellow Yellow is still around. Yeah. Like, who would opt for a Mellow Yellow when Mountain Dew is right there? Yeah, that's that's a problem right there. So you know, it's kind of like Long John Silver's. Like, I, I mean, it's cool that they're still there, but I'm like, I, who? Well, that's why Sierra there? Mist changed their name is because you would say, yeah, give me that Sierra Mist or whatever that Starry is now instead of a Sprite. Everybody's going to say Sprite, right? So. Yeah, I now who made who was Slice? Um, Who made that? that Coca-Cola. So that was a rival to 7-Up, obviously, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 7-Up gets completely lost now. It used to be all over the place. Now it's nowhere. Where is it? 7-Up. And diet 7-Up, I only think of it now (laughs) as when when I have a, like when I'm sick. (laughs) Yeah. Chicken noodle, 7-Up. I used to, when I first... turned 21 or maybe prior to when i first had my fake id uh my my order was a seven and seven every time i went with the seven and seven every time i haven't thought about it since but then i would you know for a brief period about 2004 or 2005 seven up made a caffeinated which they would never do remember caffeine never had it never will but they made a caffeinated version called it was Seven Up upside down, so it basically looked like it was D N L. It was Seven Up spelled upside down, and it was green, and I absolutely loved it. They then rebranded that as a as a drink called Surge, which had a short lifespan as well, and I absolutely loved both of them. And then, like everything else, yep. once I really like it, then they take it away. Take it away. Yeah, get out really of here. My life. Yeah. It's uh, Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings. That is 7 until 10 a.m. on the fan. The reason why I brought that up is I have my Mr. Pibb shirt on today, and I thought, I wonder if I said a Mr. Pibb and a Dr. Pepper out there, which one that you would choose. I would bet 7 out of 10, easy, would choose Dr. Pepper, unless it was about what you mentioned, nostalgia. So that was a good, yeah. good answer. I mean, Mr. Pibb, to me, when I think of like beverages of my – probably pre-kindergarten age, I think that were a real treat. Mr. Pibb is one and Chocola is the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I come from the, you know, Big Red or nothing. Big Reds, you know, in soda machines where I'm from down there. You know, another question somebody had asked and I actually answered, um, it, if there was an athlete out there that you could say in, in history, all right, this athlete, uh, no injuries whatsoever. Who would it be? No injuries in the career whatsoever, or at least would well, not have their, their career sidetracked. I said Bo Jackson. I think that's yeah, easy. I mean, I saw your tweet on that, and I, 
I don't know. I know we've discussed this before. Absolutely, Bo Jackson. And I think it's and, – and listen, I think that we have a, a tendency just as humans to romanticize or embellish things retroactively. And I don't know that you can do that for Bo Jackson. When, when It is legitimately true to say that Bo Jackson may have ended up in the Hall of Fame in both sports. Now, in baseball, you know, he, he was a – a good hitter. I think he was like a 260 hitter, but he had power, but his fielding range and his arm in the outfield were almost unprecedented. And football he left with the highest single, you know, yards per carry average in the history of the league as a running back. Um it and I absolutely loved him. I mean, he was he just went out and played. You know, he was a he did the commercials which were fabulous, but you didn't hear a lot about him. He was a quiet guy. He had the speech impediment. I that would be one for certain now. You know, I didn't see Gail Sayers, but everybody who does, who who did, says that he was like just unbelievable. I, he would certainly be in that mix. Um, I'll go one further, uh, to, and I'll just do it to localize. And we've talked about this guy before, John. He's not on the level of those guys. I get it, but there is a reason. And whenever I say this, people absolutely kill me for it, and that's cool. There's a reason the Pacers committed so much time, energy, and patience to Jonathan Bender. And Jonathan Bender, who never got a chance to fully show what he could do, they were so intrigued by him because he would have been a precursor to Kevin Durant. I'm not saying he would have been as dominant as Kevin Durant in his prime, but Bender was a seven-footer who had guard-like skills, and that was unprecedented in that time when he came into the NBA, but his knees prohibited him from ever being able to fully show it. So... If you took Bo Jackson off the table in this game, I will take Jonathan Bender. Now, some people said Clark Kellogg here. Not bad. I mean, really good player, undoubtedly. Really good player. When, when did uh, uh, when did he make that transition? When was he done? Because I, for some reason, I thought if, if Clark Kellogg goes uninjured and continues to produce, are the, the Pacers in a similar situation as they ended up in – in what, 1988 to draft Reggie Miller? 87 to draft Reggie Miller? They drafted Reggie in 87. Yeah. Clark Kellogg, I think, you know, his his issues, he and, you know, and I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another one who was a really good player that doesn't get enough credit, but injuries did him in was Steve Stepanovich. Stepanovich was a serviceable player, is probably a better way of saying it. But Kellogg and Stepo both, you know, their careers were, were pretty impeded by injuries. It's interesting because if Kellogg had never had the knee problems, would they have drafted Chuck Person, for example, in 86? Probably because a little bit different position. But then that probably slides yeah. Person primarily to like the th- the two, three, almost entire. I mean, he never played the four, but it probably slides Person down to the point where then I don't know that they draft Reggie. I, I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree with that, yes. So that's a, that's a whole different – that's an interesting – that's a really interesting question. And I do think that Kellogg is one that people forget about how good he was here because it was a brief window i did not know that he had his own shoe deal the special k from converse and and he he obviously he signed an endorsement deal um and he played three full seasons i don't know if i ever saw his shoe did you ever see his special k converse shoe i i do not recall it i don't either converse. it's vaguely familiar but you know when i think of converse and again this would have been two to three years after his prime but when I think about Converse, I think of, of course, the, the Converse weapon with 
and I can still tell you, the Converse Weapon athletes would have been Isaiah, Mark Aguirre, yeah. um, obviously Bird, and Magic. I mean, yeah. those were the big ones, right? Uh, Bernard King was a part of that group, too. Bernard King, that's yeah. right. Yep. Remember the commercial Yep. You know where they all are doing the, the little song, and then Bird, you know, I walked away with the MVP. I mean, that was legendary times, man. Hey. And, and North Carolina wore the Converse weapons because they had the baby blue Converse weapons, and that's what we, in 1987, that's what we at the Eastwood basketball team all wore, except for me because Lloyd Flurry was not going to pay that amount of money for tennis. Yeah, and some of the worst shoes of all time to play basketball in, by the way, too. That's why these guys are these guys have to be better athletes because they played in the crappiest shoes that we all still love to this day. I mean, every one of them, basically. I, I talked about it. Elijah Wan doing the Dream Shake in a tonics. I would almost rather play barefoot than playing in his atonic shoes then. They were that bad. Well, John, <laughs> I bought a pair of Bo Jackson's like five years – well, it's more than that, like five, yeah. seven years ago because I always wanted a pair, never had a pair. Finally bought myself a pair. They are the most uncomfortable shoes ever. I'm sitting here staring at them right yeah. now. They're like that. I have that, a pair of Adidas Top 10s, and a pair of Jordan Retro 3s that are just sitting there because I want to say I own them, but I never wear them. Same with the Barclays. I got 92 Barclays there, too, and uh, they're they're terrible. Jake Quare, the morning show, was with us. 6.8 chance at getting up to number one. The Pacers have had good fortune. Um, and we're going to find out coming up tomorrow night whether it is going to be, well, this is where we thought they were going to be drafting, I think, it's it seventh overall. Or I guess some people could come at me, Jake, on Wednesday and say, see, I told you there was a reason why we all love the entertaining losses because I got sick and tired of that. I mean, I got, truth be told, sick and tired of hearing about people telling me how entertaining a loss was and hoping they would lose and be entertaining until the fourth and then gag up a win. I hated that, but we'll find out coming up on Tuesday night going into Wednesday whether or not there was a a reason and why a lot of fans had a good judgment with that, I guess. Well, I think they have a little bit of flexibility in, in where they're drafting, and I'll tell you why. You know, there are there are two things that cause you to obviously be drafting high. One is you're in, you're terrible and you're in total rebuild mode. The other is you're young and you're still learning your way. They fall into the latter group and they have players. Tyrese Halliburton's a player. Benedict Matherin's a player and going to be a better player. Nimhard is a nice player. I like Miles Turner a great deal. I know you do as well. They have one glaring piece and that is a wing defender and an, in a, a, a scorer on the wing. And so because they so they're not in the position to go best player available and thus try to be as high up as possible. They simply need the best wing available. And I don't know how many there are in this draft, but I do know that two of the top I mean, Webamyama is transitionally different, but Scoot Henderson's a point guard. And, you know, Brandon Miller is the best wing available, but there are there are probably two or three that are pretty good. And so if they're drafting seventh and you know that, that Henderson, for example, and Webb Miyama go in front of you. Now you're you're really only drafting fifth because you're not necessarily – I mean, Webb Miyama they would take, obviously. But I don't know that Henderson is the position they need. So they have a little bit of a luxury of the fact that a couple people might pick in front of them at positions that the Pacers don't need. And the Pacers have one need. They have – I mean, still, you want to round out your roster. But they have a glaring need in terms of their starting base moving forward – and that's going to be a 3 and D guy. That That's what they're going to get. Have you seen that video of Trace Jackson Davis at the NBA Combine hitting a couple of threes from NBA distance? Dustin DePurek has it. Well, I, 
here's the thing. There's no doubt that he wants to be able to show that he can do that. I also think he's got to be able to show that he can score off the dribble from, say, 12 feet. Like if the ball comes to him on a rotation, that he, that he can score right there. Um, being able to do it in a combine workout, I mean, it, it beats the alternative. But he's got to be able to show he can do it in games. I do think that he has played himself at the end of the year. That Trace Jackson Davis, he has the benefit, and so does Zach Eady, uh, if Zach Eady stays in. They have the benefit of the fact that in people I've talked to, it's not seen as an overly deep draft. So they are going to be considered fairly, when I say safe picks, I mean you've got a pretty good idea of what you're getting. Maybe the ceiling is not as high, but but neither the floor is not that low. And so I do think that both of them have worked themselves into position to be in life as early as the 26-27 back half of, you know, very late first round, and more than likely early 30s pick, maybe a few behind that if you're ED. But um, Jackson Davis is going to get an opportunity. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of hoping that a team with the right fit is the one that selects him. You know, it's not that he he never ran, but I think once he matured into the constantly running the floor, as he did, and beating people down the floor – I think especially, you know, in a, a second unit type of, of slot, you know, somebody that, that's coming in against, you know, guys like him, second unit guys like him, I think he's going to be able to run the floor on some folks. I just think it depends on where he goes and, you know, where he's slotted to go, Jake, he's probably going to end up with a pretty decent team and be able to maybe be out there with better players around him, I think that that will give him the opportunity to cover up some of the blemishes while also being able to expand and show off some of the advantages that he has. And and being left-handed, you start right there. Being left-handed screws, I don't care if you're professional, I don't care if you're elementary. Left-handed dudes screw everybody up, especially incredibly athletic left-handed dudes. So I think I think he's got an advantage or two in this too. Well, he's got a very good feel for where he is around the basket. I mean, he's got very good footwork around the basket. And again, you know, I, I tend to agree with what, Dane Fife had said about a month ago, and that was that people can say all they want that he can't shoot, but he hasn't been asked to shoot. You know, that wasn't his role in Indiana. So it may be that he could, and you know, I'm, I'll give benefit of the doubt to Trace Jackson Davis. I'm not saying this was the case, but he could have tried to show that he was more versatile in terms of his offensive game and his outside shooting if he wanted to, I'm sure. But I don't know that that's what Indiana needed. You know, when Thomas Bryant was in his last year at Indiana, Tom Crean, I think, allowed for Thomas Bryant to try to show that he could shoot from the outside. And as a result, Indiana's offense, I thought, took a step back because, like, literally, it was Thomas Bryant trying to shoot 25-footers half the time. And that's not what Indiana needed him to do. And I think it hurt Indiana. And if Trace Jackson Davis was going to try to do that, that wasn't what Indiana needed from him. Um, so we'll see whether or not he, he can do it. I just don't think that that's been something he's been asked to do just yet. Yeah, and truth be told, if you're in that setting and you basically score, you know, 60, 65% of the time, Jake, uh, when you're single, probably more than that when you're single covered, probably, you know, you score at that clip when you're double covered. When you can do that, then you're probably not going to jack with too much. The three-pointer. I just think that stands the reason. That's just kind of basketball knowledge right there, right? I hope that he's able to, you know, transition into some sort of a three-point shooter. He wouldn't be the first. 
I mean, we've we've seen guys be able to do that before, but he just he just did what was of value to him and his team in that setting and where he was going to be best suited to score and score in bunches, which is exactly what he did. So there's no fault there. Yeah, the other thing I think he could do, talking of Trace Jackson Davis, is in the right system. Again, that's key, but. And I know that it's kind of an unfair comparison that anytime there's a guy that's going to be drafted 35th and you want him to be a good player, you compare him to Draymond Green. I mean, that's unfair. But I do think that he can play that kind of a role. And by that, I mean Draymond Green can can help his team in a lot of different ways. He can facilitate with his passing. He can, you know, run the ball, kind of, kind of spread it back out from the post and back out to the perimeter to outside shooters. Jackson Davis, I think, has that kind of a basketball acumen. I mean, I think he's got – the quick reactionary time to be able to be more than just simply it's going to go into him and he's going to score. I think he can facilitate for others on the floor. But again, it's going to be going into a, to a system where that's what they know he can do and, and putting the right people around him where he can do that. I think Cody Zeller has an opportunity to be on an NBA title team. I do, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I had said this this morning. I've watched a lot of Miami Heat games, a lot. And I think Eric Spolstra is one of the most underrated coaches in professional sports. And, sure, Miami does not jump out at you. Miami's got a I, – I think Boston's tremendous, and I think Boston probably will win that series. But you make it into the conference finals, there's a reason for it. And what Miami does better than any of the other teams, in my opinion, still around – is, is Miami can win in various ways. They, they, Miami is like – they literally can be a team that goes out and they are led by Jimmy Butler, or they can be a team that goes out and they are led by going through Bam out of Bayou, or they're a team that goes out and uses those two, those two if they're being shut down and use their outside role-playing shooters, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, even though he's hurt. To, to hit you in different areas and to just be consistent and stay with what they do. I think Miami does what they do and stays true to who they are more than any team in the league, but who they are is really a team with three different looks and their ability to be versatile in those looks makes them difficult over the course of a seven game series. Cause you kind of don't know who you're planning for from one game to the next and that they do better than anybody in basketball. Now, does that mean that they can win two more series? I don't know about that. But but this particular group, and in particular with Spolstra, has continued to win series that they weren't supposed to win. So you would be foolish to say it's impossible. But I would say it, I do think that the way Jason Tatum's playing Boston is going to be really difficult to eliminate. I think Philly's time's up. I think Phoenix and their time is up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, those, I think those are two teams that are really hosed right now. So, yeah, would you suggest that, let's just say, for example, if they have to make substantial changes, do you look at, at Philly's situation with the process? Did that work? No. Uh, Philly has won. Derek Schultz is the one that pointed this out. I'll give him credit. Uh, Philly's been to one conference finals in 38 years. One. Conference finals. And, that, I mean, they went to the finals, obviously, with Ivers. That was it. Um, it the process in accumulate. I mean, they have great players. Embiid's a great player. But, you know, half of the players they got through that, they had to – you know, Ben Simmons is posting pictures, mocking the fact yeah, that – that's lame. That's lame. You know, what a, what a just – that's sad. That it is, is sad. But, 
but the process did it work out? They did not, they're yeah. a good team, but half the players, you know, they're, they're, I mean, that's a team that had Jimmy Butler on their roster. I mean, they, they've had some some names come through there, um, and to not get to a conference finals is is would have to be listed as disappointment. If the Pacers were to draft from Kansas, Grady Dick, would that immediately vault his jersey to the top-selling jersey for the Pacers? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Probably so. <laughs> I guess that maybe it depends on his jersey number. Um, <laughs> you know what? He can play. I'll say, I watched Grady Dick a lot. I yeah. went to a Kansas game this year. I mean, kidding aside from the name. He is a good player. He can shoot from the outside. Yeah. But I was a little bit concerned about him because I'm not going to say he took plays off, but if he got beat defensively, which he did from time to time, he would kind of sulk offensively and just kind of very lackadaisically go through the motions. He had a lot of possessions where he looked like Jay Edwards without the just flat-out nature of Jay Edwards being a python that would then strike you when you least expect it. He doesn't look like he can guard you. Now he can he can well, shoot he the can. lights out of it, but part of the issue with this Pacer team and its growth is you've got to find some dudes that can get and stay at least for a second in front of their dude. And in this draft, and in Kansas as a freshman, he didn't look like he's one of them. I would agree with that. I, again, he can he has a quick release and he can shoot uh, the heck out of the ball from the outside. But I think, yeah, I think his lack. There are teams that that would be fine. His defense, his defensive deficiency would be okay with certain teams. I don't think it is with Indiana, even though the Pacers did a good job for several years of between Sabonis and Turner. Turner, obviously, is who I'm going with here, protecting the rim and masking the fact that they were allowing easy lanes to the basket. I don't think they want to get back into that arena again because I think that they do like Turner as more than just simply their rim protector, and that's it. So I think they're going to prioritize somebody that's better on the wing than Grady Dick. Uh, good job by you guys on the Grand Prix, or as I like to call it, the Grand Prix. And here's <laughs> hoping for a great week this week, and then obviously next week as well we'll get uh, set for that. So It is my favorite two-week stretch here. It is a blur. There's no doubt yeah. about it. It is the greatest thrill in the world to be able to be on the microphone for the events at that place. We had fun for the Grand Prix, but um, we all get an extra spring in our step. There's no doubt about it for the next two weeks and calling, qualifying, and practice. And um, anytime there's car on track, we as the network are carrying it in some capacity. And uh, I love it. It's my favorite two-week stretch of the year. Thanks, Shannon, for singing out loud, as she always does Saturday night. I appreciate that. She does, man. That is our, our Saturday ritual. She was uh, singing the babies? Right. Going out. That's right. She, whatever song you've got on, she is a, um, Shannon loves the JMB takeover. Who doesn't? Because it does remind me of just Saturday nights in the summer and calling in and the excitement of hearing your name on the radio. I mean, hell, I work on the radio and and we get, we turn it up when you say her name. You know, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, I love when she's singing the babies, by the way, we were playing on Saturday too. All right, my brother, I appreciate it. We'll check in later on this week. All right, John, we'll see you. Let's, uh, take query. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Quick break. We'll come back. Alex Golden setting the pace. Pacers in the draft lottery and the NBA Combine doing some workouts today. I mentioned that video from Dustin DePurak of the Star. Mark Sheldon of MLB.com at the 5 o'clock hour. 500 tickets and Aerosmith tickets, too. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. My baseball sycamores are ranked 13th in the NCAA RPI rankings. I believe they did lose. And a lot of you are on the mark when you point the finger at me. So I had Mitch Hanna as the head coach coach on last week, and then they started a series with Murray State, and then they promptly lost that first game to Murray State. Seriously. What the hell am I? Like, I can't believe. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace is going to come on here, and his website probably goes right in the crapper after he gets off this show. Nah, they picked up the pieces against Murray State. That's legit. And they're as good as anybody right now. They get Missouri on the road this week and then close out the Missouri Valley Conference portion of their season in Springfield, Missouri versus Missouri State. But yeah, let's right out of the gate. Let's have the coach on next game. Lose. It's like you guys called it. What am I, the slep rock here? Mark Sheldon, top of the hour. Aerosmith tickets coming up. When you hear some, I, I tell you what, when you hear Gary Newman in cars, cue to call, number nine is going to get 500 tickets. That's going to happen before five o'clock. Gary Newman and the 1979 80 Classic Cars. Your cue to be number nine before the five o'clock hour on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He's a guest that's about to see his website go right in the crapper, setting the pace is where you can find his work regarding the Pacers and the NBA. Alex Golden joins us. Hey, good luck with that thing after this appearance, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> what, what, what is that all about? I'm just curious. <laughs> What's that? I said, I'm just curious what you're talking about. Oh, you weren't listening? Uh, not for a second. No, I, I listened uh, a little bit to what you were saying. With, no, 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 no. Um, so I had on Mitch Hannes, the Indiana State coach, and after I had him on, they immediately lost a game. So everybody was wow. saying how unlucky I am, and I said, okay, well, Alex Golden is coming on. It's much less effective the second time around here, Alex, truth be told. But I said, I'm having Alex on, and now his website's going to go in the crapper because he's on with me. So... Uh, you know what? Let's just say fingers crossed that we can flip this JMV. I feel it. <laughs> um, all right, 6.8% tomorrow night in the NBA draft lottery. Will this thing, in your estimation, stay the same? Will they have some upward mobility? Will people be able to contact me on Wednesday and say, see, we told you there was a reason why we embraced those entertaining losses. What's your expectation tomorrow night? Yeah, my expectations as a Pacer fan are always to expect the worst outcome. Uh, I, I think that that's just kind of the nature of how things have been for me as a fan the last couple of years. But uh, I think what's really interesting is that where the Pacers are positioned at, at the seventh spot the last five seasons, the team that's been slotted at seven has moved up into the top four. So I've, I just kind of wonder if they feel like there's good karma there with lucky number seven and there's a chance they can move up. But I think – while they did, you know, they did they did lose games on purpose or tried to lose games on purpose towards the end there a little bit by setting their guys. I think that at least for the majority of the season, they didn't just flat out give it away. So I feel like there's some good karma there with how they develop players and how they've gone about it. But, you know, it's slim chances to move up. But, you know, I think we have to be hopeful 
and and if we're not, then it is what it is. But I think you have to be at least a little bit hopeful going into it. You can't go in with a super negative outlook, but I just I just don't ever expect the Pacers to get the nice things that I hope they deserve one day. All right, so let's say neighborhood of the seventh overall selection. You're eyeballing whom that will be in participation in this NBA combine ongoing. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be really interesting because there's a lot of ways this could go. Um, I think – I know you and Jake were talking about the Pacers definitely needing a wing, and I completely agree with that. And I, I think if you look at who I have in my top eight, you've got Wimbanyama and Scoot and Brandon Miller in the top three, but the next five players are all power forward, small forward type of players. And I, I think that one name that really stands out to me is Taylor Hendricks from UCF. This is a kid that – was their highest-ranked recruit in college history. Ended up being their leading scorer with 15 points a game, shot about 40% from three, and he's a secondary rim protector with good athleticism. I think that this is someone that could fit in. I think he's going to have a little bit more work to do just because he is a little bit raw, but I do like the fact that he's got the height, got the wingspan, got the athleticism that I think this pitch team needs, and, and really one thing I like about him is the shooting. So, we know that if you have shooters spreading the floor, it's going to open up that lane for the pace a little bit more. So Taylor Hendricks at seven is a, is a name I'm keeping an eye on. But if Jarris Walker from Houston falls there too, I think that that would be a really fun debate to determine between those two guys because Jarris is, is more of a chiseled uh, a big guy down low that is like 240 pounds, seven-foot-two wingspan. He's more of a bruiser down low, um, but he is pretty quick on his feet, and he can switch quite a bit as well. So I think that there's – some potential there at Penn, too. He's probably a little bit more polished as a prospect coming into the NBA, but I, I, I like both prospects a lot. I just don't know if uh, Jarrett will be there at seven. I think there's potentially could be, but I would say his floor is a lot higher, where I think Kendrick might have a higher ceiling than Jarrett's walk. Setting the pace, Salas Golden talking Pacers NBA draft lottery is coming up tomorrow night. We'll find out exactly the vicinity in which the Pacers will be a part of. Hey, listen, I dig the Thompson Twins, but I'm talking about the 80s band here, not so much the guys that are going to be a part of this particular draft. What do you know about your era as Thompson Twins? Yeah, great, great point there. I think there's a lot of question marks with these two. But one thing that I've heard from interviews that I've done going back to even the offseason last year is these guys have the mentality to do what it takes to be good basketball players, and they're not going to let anything phase them. And that's from people talking to them. They just said they got it up top. And I think a lot of young players don't have that. So why the OT is a very interesting league, a lot of weird rules, a lot of uh, competition deficiency there compared to college and the G League, these two players, I think, are going to be good NBA players. Now, I don't know what their ceiling is or anything like that. I'm, I'm still trying to figure them out because I don't have a lot of tape on them. But if you're looking at a Min Thompson, this is a guy that a lot of people like in the top three, top four. And he was the point guard for overtime elite. I, I think he is a guy that could be a secondary playmaker for the Pacers if they put him into their starting lineup if they did draft him. He's going to be the most athletic player in this draft, without a doubt. He's just a freak athlete. Um, very twitchy, so I think that there are a lot of good things to like about him, but he has zero shot, and I just wonder, to me, if that's going to be a problem for the Pacers with how they like to play, having someone on the perimeter that cannot shoot, and we've seen how much of a problem that can be in today's NBA when you just can't put the ball in the basket from outside. So he's going to have to really find a way to develop that shot where his brother, on the other hand, is 
uh, not as athletic, but he's still really athletic, and he's a decent playmaker, not nearly the playmaker that his brother is, but he's got more of a solidified shot. He was uh, a star. Thompson was the MVP of the overtime elite. I think that he is a player that, given the right coaching, and I think continuing to work on his shot, he can become a good shooter from outside. Not saying great, but an, at least an average three-point shooter. So I think there's more scoring upside there with him. But I think with a men, Thompson, you're getting a better defensive player and another secondary playmaker. So there are good things to like about him, but I think that they're just going to have to take some time before they're ready to compete right away for a, for a playoff game. Hey, Alex, three in round one, two in round two. What's your guesstimation here on how – Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and company will handle these picks because he said in the season closer that they were not going to utilize them all. How do you think they go about how trying to make this team better while also doing some things with these picks because clearly they're not going to need them all? Yeah, I think if there's someone they like that maybe falls out of the lottery in like that 15 to 20 range, maybe they try to package both those picks to move up. Um, like 26 and 29, and it's a team that needs some picks. Like, I look in that Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, Lakers range, because those are teams that, yes, they're probably trying to win, but they also have uh, financial situations that they have to address as well, especially Golden State. And we know that their young players don't see a lot of playing time anyway, so if the Pacers were to say, hey, we'll package uh, a player on our team, plus maybe pick 26 or pick 18 or 19, whatever they have, is that something that entices them to say, okay, maybe we can get somebody back that could help us and then still get a draft pick that's not going to cost us as much salary-wise. So I think there's some things to look at there. But um, if they stay where they're at, I think they just have to look at continued depth at the four. I think that's where the best spot to look at is. Um, one player I, I had seen in that range for a while, but he's moving up quite a bit, is Leonard Miller. So I don't necessarily think he'd be available there. But I really like Leonard Miller's set with the Pacers. Uh, from the G League Ignite, and I think that he's someone that they could trade up for. But I also like Chris Murray from Iowa. This is going to be a name uh, that Pacer fans are familiar with, obviously playing in the Big Ten. But he's not nearly the, the defensive player that his brother is um, or the offensive player, but he's a good player. I think he would fit in right, right away. I think he's a smart guy. And those are two names I've been keeping an eye on as potential uh, players that could be like backup power forward, backup three, just to kind of try to help get this Pacers team some depth at that much-needed wing position. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. Before I let you go here, a lot has happened since the last time we talked, and obviously there's coaching movement. There's going to be some player movement because decisions will be made. Guys will go other places. So might you think because of what's transpired in this postseason, we might see anything that could interest the Pacers ending up shaking loose and giving them an opportunity that at the end of the regular season, Alex, we didn't think they had. Great question. I mean, I feel like there is going to be a lot of moves this, this off season. I feel like a lot of teams felt like they were, uh, they were a little bit underwhelmed in the playoffs because they just weren't able to perform. And you see a team like Miami, a team that everybody counted out. Now they're in the Eastern conference finals as the eighth seed. A lot of people firing coaches. Does that open up roster spots for teams to move off of players? I just feel like there's going to be a lot of shakeups this year, and it's going to be fascinating to see how everything plays out. I think if the Pacers are smart, they know, in my opinion right now, that they're not ready to be title contenders, deep playoff contenders. They want to get to the playoffs. So I think you'll see more of a 
hey, if we have an opportunity to step in and maybe be a part of a three-team trade, do they do they take on a bad contract to also take on a, a potential young player? Uh, a name that comes to mind is someone like Jonathan Kaminga from Golden State who's really not happy with not getting playing time. Yep. Uh, would they be willing to try to get involved in a three-team trade there? I think there's little ways that they could try to get themselves into something without getting themselves too stuck with bad contracts. I mean, maybe take on one, but not a not a super bad one. Or, or they could look at different opportunities just to kind of bolster the roster. Because I, I think that they need to get it a little bit better, obviously, to continue to compete. But at the same time, you don't want to mortgage some of your really young players that you're developing and, and trying to – make pivotal parts of the team to be like we used to be a tough out. So I think you got to still be slow with your process and trying to acquire the right players. But um, I think one thing we've noticed about this Pacers front office is they're very opportunistic when the right time comes. It's, uh, Alex Golden setting the pace, talking Pacers NBA and the NBA draft lottery coming up tomorrow night via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll get back in touch with you once some things kind of shake out a little bit more where we can take even more educated guesses at what they may end up doing here in the offseason. Man, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll do it again here real soon. Alex, thank you. Yeah, no problem. And real quick, I just wanted to say Mr. Pibb is what I would pick over <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Just throwing it out there. I'm a Mr. Pibb guy. I think it's a little bit uh, – it's kind of more of a spicy cherry compared yeah. to Dr. Pepper, which is very sweet. Um, but I don't know if you know this or not, but Dr. Pepper is actually with Seven Up. They're not part of Pepsi Cola. Oh, Pepsi they're not. Cola. They're not part of Pepsi Cola. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Oh. They are with Seven Up now. I guess that original yeah. roster though was hard to beat. Like like Coca Cola was number one, but Pepsi had the best supporting cast then. But you're right about that Seven Up. Well done. Yeah, I worked at a gas station for a while, and I learned about the ins and outs of all that with stocking them, just because you know you find out stupid stuff like that. It was more of a Seven Up couldn't handle as much uh, all the Dr Pepper that was being made and manufactured, so they basically contracted Pepsi to deliver it for them. So that's kind of an interesting. Well done, right there. Look at the knowledge you're dropping on this show. Just beyond the Pacers and the NBA. Well yeah. done, Alice Golden. Well done, brother. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for letting me drop that on you. I appreciate you it. You got it, man. It's Alex Golden to set in the pace. His NBA, his Pacers, and his knowledge of soft drink products. Dr. Pepper with 7-Up. Well done right there. Alex Golden, Mark Sheldon, top of the hour. Your chance to win 500 tickets coming up before 5. Aerosmith tickets in the 5. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. The Ride with JMV. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is Gary Newman. This song is about Gary Newman having to hide from people trying to whip his ass once upon a time. Did you guys know that? Uh, here, though, is going to win somebody, number nine at 239-1070. Two tickets to go to the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500. Number nine is going to be that winner. Did you guys not know that about Gary Newman and that song? True story. True story. There's another true story. I had that, and I still have it someplace. I have it on vinyl. I have it on the KTEL compilation album, vinyl, Rock 80. Anybody else? Rock 80. I believe The Knack was on Rock 80. I believe Pat Benatar was on Rock 80. Gary Newman in Cars.
Tony, are you the winner? Tony, yeah. are you the big winner? I am today. <laughs> did you have tickets already? I did not. All right. All right. So, hey, Tony, keep in mind, I'm going to be doing the pre-race show with Tony Katz and Pagoda Plaza. You've got to bring a couple of beers by for me, okay? Or a shot of something. Okay? Race Absolutely. day. All right. Just, just so you know, there's there's requirements of winning, too. And that's what it is. Okay? All right, uh, Tony, you're going on hold right there. Uh, Tony's the winner of the 500 tickets. Thank you, Tony. Did I, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I blocked him there. I need to put him on hold. <laughs> I tried to block him. All right, Tony wins the 500 tickets. Aerosmith tickets still to come at the 5 o'clock hour. Mark Sheldon as well. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Alex Gold and Jake Query a little bit earlier. Uh, if you missed the conversation last week with Brian Adams, the headliner for Carb Day coming up next week, 107.5thefan.com right there for that. I talked to Ed Carpenter last night. We'll get Ed on the show this weekend next as well. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, because my man is in a big hurry. He's got a game to cover later on tonight. We have an MLB, a Reds debut happening at shortstop. Covers the Reds for MLB.com and been doing so and at a very high level for a long time. Mark Sheldon is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hello, Mark. How are things in Cincinnati? Doing great. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm in Colorado. It's a beautiful day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Things in Cincinnati are great, but Colorado is okay here. Um, I was yeah. going to ask you this. Are the Reds better than what a lot of us thought? And listen, I need four games under 500, whatever. But it appears at times then they're a lot better than I want to, like, schlep rock them in descriptive terms uh, regarding around here in Indianapolis. Could that be said? I think they're definitely a lot better than last season. Uh, I think they're better than what a lot of people predicted. But there's obviously some things that they're doing that are not necessarily the recipe for success. You know, they haven't uh, had a great starting pitching. They've had to use their bullpen way too much, although they perform well, and their infield defense has been not very good. But they, they are, they're, they're showing a lot of tenacity. They're, they're, they're playing those close games. They're winning one-run games. There's a lot of things that they couldn't do last year, and they definitely have a chemistry as a team that they certainly didn't have last year when they basically unloaded all the veterans of the, of the team in the middle of spring training in March, and they never really had a cohesive field of the team in 2022. So I think there's a lot of things that are working in their favor. There's some things they need to button up in order to kind of stay where they are. So Mark Sheldon with us. I, I think they can be fun to watch, too. Now, obviously, when you win and maybe surprise in that capacity, uh, the fun kind of comes along with it. But it can be a fun team to watch at times, both offensively and you know, defensively, just not so much, as you mentioned, in the starting pitching variety. Yeah, it's definitely a fun team. One of the things that's interesting with that, this team, although they kind of fixed that in, in, in Miami, was they were winning uh, games without hitting many home runs. They're scoring a lot of runs without hitting home runs, which is a, a very anti-red <laughs> thing when they're in Great American Ballpark. So it's it's been a uh, it's been interesting to watch them string together big rallies, find ways to win, come back from you know games that they probably weren't you know given much of a chance to be in because they were they were behind early. And they they are definitely a, a fun team to watch. One thing that's different is that these guys that are here, for several of them, are you know expected to be around for a little while, not just stopping through because they're a, a live body, kind of like what happened last year. They were calling up a lot of guys last year that 
They probably didn't want to, but they didn't have any, you know, because of injuries, because of the trades, they didn't have a real cohesive team last year. So Mark Sheldon writes about the Reds, MLB.com, also covers, you know, basically MLB in general, but certainly uh, the Central and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is there any team comparison in recent memory, especially young kind of growing together where there's a lot unknown with maybe an average fan, a fan of the Reds, a fan of baseball? Is there a, a Reds team comparison of the past you've covered that may be adequate comparing it to this particular team, Mark? It's a little hard to say, but I, I would guess if I had to pick one, you know, you kind of saw 2010 as a team. You know, they were, you know, they had Dusty Baker as a manager, and he certainly wanted to win, and they were aiming to win, but it, it took a couple of years. And, and, you know, they had called up some younger players a couple of years ago. Before that, like, you know, Jay Bruce, Joey Votto, uh, those guys were coming up, and they hadn't started clicking yet until 2010. They had a lot of losing seasons. Uh, and I remember going into that year, not a whole lot was expected of that team, and, and they certainly maybe surprised a lot of people and ended up winning the division and going to the playoffs. And I, I think that was a much better team, but I, I still think that this team is still not a lot of people are seeing it because it, it's reflected in the attendance. I think a lot of people, because of last year, aren't seeing what's going on. I, I, you know, the, comment, the comments I get on social media still kind of reflect the feelings of last year, and I think some people are missing out on, on some fun baseball. I think with the the speed of the play with the time, you know, the pitch timer and, and some other, you know, the rules that are in effect, there just seems to be more on the field that's, that's happening. That's fun. And, and this team seems to have adapted well to that, the, the new rules. So Mark Sheldon with us, what do you think about the new rules? And I'll be honest with you, Mark, I enjoy it. I, I do. I, I, I didn't think I would. I'm old school, kind of old curmudgeon fart guy, but I kind of dig it. I dig it too. I think it's, especially the timer. What, the one thing that I don't get when people complain about it is like, well, I love the timeless feel of baseball, but, you know, when you love the timeless feel of baseball in the old days, those games were being played in two hours and ten minutes. If you look at the time of games from the 60s, the 70s, and even the 80s, uh, it, it, it was all the games were under three hours. And now with, the, you know, the plethora of pitching changes with more commercial breaks, with you know, all sorts of strategy going on and, and, and just mound visits, it, it's just not a game that can be played under three hours very much anymore. Uh, and the new rules tighten up all the, the nonsense. There's no checking out of the batter's box to adjust your helmet and your batting gloves. The pitcher can't uh, hold his glove and rub the ball for two hours. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much better brand of baseball. It's definitely more like old-school baseball than, than, than we've seen just because the game is moving. There's less dead time. I think it's great. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, you know, I was discouraged by it, Mark, at the beginning. But watching games, especially the visual and not having to sit there for what feels like five and six hours, even if it's not, just makes it more enjoyable. It really does. It does, and I think this will be a test here in Colorado with all the offense that is probably going to happen in this park. There's a lot of crooked numbers that are on the in big rallies that come ha- that happen here. A lot of comebacks. The Reds have had a bad run of games over the recent history out here, so it could push the three-hour mark. But I'll be out. This will be a good test for the pitch timer and, and really how it plays. But I've been through some games that wow, it felt long, and then you find out it was only two hours and fifty minutes. So I think it'll be pretty cool to see how it, how the timer in Colorado mixed together. Yeah, it seemed like Colorado and uh, Bryce Harper and the Phils had uh, an almost sweet little dust-up yesterday, too, playing yeah, off of that. Like huh? Yeah, I, I don't know what exactly happened, I'll be honest with you, but I saw the, the highlights, and yeah, it looked pretty uh, pretty good and intense, and, <laughs> and uh, I guess the Phillies are getting out of town at the right time, so that won't continue. <laughs> 
So Mark Sheldon with us. Before I let you go, I know you get to run here in a couple of minutes. Uh, this how you felt, especially with Pittsburgh being, what now, three games over 500 or so, where the Cardinals currently are in the cellar. How upside down is the Central compared to what you thought it was going to be to this point? Completely. Uh, I really thought the Cardinals were going to be the, the, the kind of the, the pick for the Central, followed by the Brewers and Cubs, the Reds and Pirates, and, and it is upside down. But I think one of the beauties of the 162-game schedule as long as it is, the, the, the cream does rise to the top. You, you, you can't pretend. You know, a team cannot pretend all the way through the season. If there are holes, they will be exploited. If there's weaknesses, they will be found. Uh, and, and, and good teams will always rally to, to where they need to be. So when, whatever the, wherever it plays out is how it's supposed to be at the end of the season. There won't be any tricks or any you know, you know, smoke and fog or anything like that. So it's, it'll, I'll be curious what the Pirates are at the end of the year. I'll be curious what the Cardinals are at the end of the year. Well, it always, I think it'll be different. Yeah, I, mean, I hate the Cardinals. It always pisses me off because it inevitably in September, you know, late, mid-late August, here they go. You want to throw dirt on them, and there they are. Yeah, I know they've won three straight, but it, it looks like – that the struggles were legit and and not so much just a slow start. It kind of looked like that they just had issues on that team, at least until the last three wins. They do have issues. Obviously, the catching situation is uh, not what they wanted with Contreras, and they aren't pitching well generally. They've been banged up. They definitely don't look like the, the, the team that everyone raves about over the years. It hasn't been the very Cardinal-like team in general, but I, I, you know, I, I would be surprised if they sit in last place uh, for very long. I think they'll they'll find a way. Yeah, with uh, with with Contreras and the Cardinals, you put that mixture together, and I'm pretty happy that there's a failure going on right there. So at least it's, as a it's Reds surprising fan. that they signed them. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Before I let you go, one final thing: uh, is this the type of team that can grow and put behind for Reds fans uh, those those memories and how they feel about ownership right now? Is that possibility loom, or is that simply marked there and since never going to happen? I think they, it will have a good chance to happen. I can't promise anything, but I think, you know, you're seeing it today. You've seen it during spring training. They've, they've been going with the young players. They're bringing them up. Matt McLean's the, the latest one to come up. At some point, Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand and Andrew Abbott will be here. Uh, you're seeing the pipeline. They made a lot of shrewd trades, all those terrible, you know, tough trades that they were making. They weren't terrible trades, but they were tough to make. Uh, and a lot of popular players were, were, were sent, sent out. But some of these players that are being brought back, you're starting to see them come up now. And so plus you add them with the players that are already in the system. And you're, this is a chance for to build something. And, you know, maybe it won't happen this year. Maybe they'll have a better year than people thought. But I think in the next couple of years, you're going to start seeing things come together, possibly. If, if, you know, no injuries and no problems, et cetera. But right now they have a lot to be excited about going forward. Hey, if this could happen to the Bengals, then holy hell, Mark. I mean, you've been around since you long enough, and it certainly should be able to happen to the Reds. Well, the Bengals and Reds are never good at the same time, it seems like. It seems like <laughs> when one's up, the other's down. So I haven't seen it in a long time when both teams are uh, in the playoffs and having a great time. So that would be great for the city if, uh, if you know, that both teams are good and SC Cincinnati's good. I think that would be great if, you know, there's a lot of, you know, excitement about the professional sports teams. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here. We'll get you on some other time over the course of the summer when you have a little bit more time, too. But uh, enjoy the set out in Colorado with the Reds and the Rockies, and we'll get back with you soon, Mark. Thank you for the time. All right, take care. Thank you. So, Mark Sheldon, MLB.com, covers the Reds here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And looky here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, team owner, driver, 
future 500 winner, friend of the show, Fox 59 colleague every Sunday night. Ed Carpenter is front and center. Hello, Ed. How you doing? Good afternoon, John. How are we doing? You know, the ratings, and I feel bad for the competitors television-wise on Sunday because with that double-barrel action that Hagen has with you and I, those other stations that do sports have zero chance. None. Yeah, I think we've been winning it for a while now. I couldn't believe last night when he, he showed me a picture that we've been doing that 10 years now. Like, <laughs> and you, like, look the same, by the way. You look exactly the Hardly. same. Like, completely the Hardly. same. Well, that's, that's awfully kind of you. Well, it's not out of kindness. I think, it, I, I mean, it kind of pisses me off is what it does, but it's true. I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I have a little less hair. You have a little more hair. So. <laughs> well, I've got, I'm, I'm trying to figure things out as I go along. You know, it's kind of, yeah, I've got to just, I know where I can replenish. I think I'm going to be, I'm going to have yeah, all new parts by the time I'm 60, Ed. True. Well, you got to just tune up as need be. How you feeling? Uh, I feel good. Really, really looking forward to tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully it stays dry enough for us to get some work in and ready to kick off another month of May Indy 500 prep. We had a, a really good open test three weeks ago or so, however long ago it was. Um, so that I felt like we had a good start there and just ready to continue it and get prepared for next weekend. You know, when when it rains out there and practice is postponed, we kind of go, okay, well, practice is postponed. How much, if at all, does it screw with you guys in preparation when you miss a day, when there's an opportunity to be out there and then because of the weather, you can't do it? It really just depends. Like, if we've, it, if we're in a good spot and are pretty happy with what we've got, I don't mind missing some days just because it's it gives your competitors less time to, to figure things out or get happy. Um, so th- there's times where... I don't mind having a day off. Uh, you know, there's other years where you want every minute possible that you can get. So, um, you know, and then on top of that, it, days are they, days can be long when it's not like you're not sure how long it's going to rain or if we're going to get back out again. And then there's a lot of hurry up and wait sitting around and then you either get out for a little bit or they call it off. So, those those make for long days. So if it's going to rain, I just assume it rains, and then I can go pick my kids up from school or something. It's Ed Carpenter, team owner and driver, ECR. That's Ed Carpenter Racing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So how do you size up your squad here going into what really is now the month of May and going into the 107th running of the 500? you like what you got there? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a pretty good spot. We were fairly strong last year. We qualified decent Reynas and I were third and fourth and ran up front a good part of the day but you know Ganassi kind of had everyone whooped last year so we've got to go out and and catch up to those guys they're they're the the team to beat still right now until someone else proves it otherwise for for the speedway so just got to they don't have a target on their car anymore but they've got a target on their back so ready to ready to go chase them down you uh does it make you better when when there's no no changes, when you got the same, when you have that continuity, is it like with your race team, like what we would see, you know, in basketball, you know, or a stick and ball sport like that? The continuity in a team, how much does that matter? Uh, 
Um, I mean, it helps somewhat just because every, you know, we know everyone's comfortable with, with our baseline, you know, set up for the car and, and whatnot. And we kind of all speak the same language. So there, there's positives, you know, there, there's positives that when you have new guys come in as well, just cause you may get a different perspective or, or learn something new from wherever they've been before. Um, there goes, it goes both ways, but you know, we've got a good group, um, for, for Indy, you know, Renus, I think Indy's probably been one of his strongest tracks and, and same with Connor. He's performed well, especially in the race the past couple of years. So, you know, I, I feel like we've got, we've got three really good cars with, with our bitnile.com machines and we're going to go give it everything we got. You mentioned Ed Carpenter, Ed Carpenter Racing's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The the picture, and I saw this Hagen sent it out of of you guys ten years ago compared to to you guys last night when you made. I think that was your debut, was it not? On fifty nine last night, was that your first one? Yep that was that was first one of the month. Um, how much have you changed? Not in in terms of you know less hair or maybe a little bit more gray, but how much have you changed as a driver and as a a team owner. Um, I mean, you get, you know, you get more comfortable at some level of it. You, you, you know, I think you have more knowledge and wisdom and more experience, uh, more perspective. You know, I probably for sure have more patience than I did 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And like you said, definitely a little grayer, a little thinner on, t- on the head. And well, I could help you out about. with that. I could help you out if you want right. to reach out. And probably about six pounds heavier than I was back then, yeah. which isn't all that bad for, for ten years. No, it's not. No, that that's the part that pisses me off right there. Here. So, I got to work hard at it, man. It definitely doesn't get easier, but I, I still enjoy that part of it as well. I um, I was just thinking too, in in terms of in and just with Ed this race in particular. I mean, so many battles. You've been close. Other times, maybe not so close. Has your, your your vantage point with this in mind changed at all? I mean, obviously you say that you, you've got more patience, but what else have you added over this this ten year span with those those near misses, the not so near misses, and where you are as both a driver and a team owner right now? Uh, I mean, I think you know the the good years and the bad years are are motivational and, and educational. You know, you learn from your successes and your failures. Um, you know, there's been years where we just weren't strong enough as a team. There's been years where I didn't perform to, to the level that, that I expect to myself. So you, you just, you just put all that in the bank and, you know, try to become a better, better driver and, and better leader out of it and, you know, just keep pushing for it. But I definitely, don't ever get discouraged from any of that, at least not, you know, once 48 hours or so have passed. But, um, yeah, just try to just try to learn from everything, both good and bad, and keep coming back at it. What's uh, more difficult? Is it the business aspect of it or the driving aspect of it that you have, especially with this race? And I guess with the business side, Ed, it's in terms of, you know, securing sponsorships, maintaining secured sponsorships and stuff that, you know, people that, that, that are fans probably really don't take into consideration so much. What's more time consuming for you with all that in mind? I mean, over the course of the, the whole year, by far, you know, the, the team ownership side is, is more challenging and more stressful, you know, at, at times, 
as a driver, you know, obviously the the stress level can be off the charts, but it, it's different. You know, I mean, when thinking about the business, you know, we've got 50 employees now. So, you know, for me, you know, I, I when when there's any struggle or question mark, you know, it's I've, I've got 50 employees and their families that, that weigh on you. Um, you know, when it comes to the racetrack part, you know, I'm, I'm disappointing myself and maybe my, my sponsors when, when it doesn't go well. So I feel a lot more pressure and, and anxiety on the business side of things at times than, than the driving, you know, the driving part is fun. You know, it's, it, it can, it can be stressful. It's challenging, but at the end of the day, it's still fun. We get to go out and drive awesome race cars around at over 230 miles an hour. So if you can't find the fun in that, there's something wrong with you. Is, um, is it an easy sell for, you know, an advertiser, a company to be a part of your race team before the Indy 500? Is that an easy sell or is it still difficult to do? I mean, Indy's definitely easier than anything else and probably easier now than really any time in my career. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's still a hard sell as a whole. You know, I mean, there's there's so much competition, you know, just in, in sports and marketing. And, you know, you, you know firsthand just how much, you know, media and the way people consume their sports and entertainment has changed. So, you know, that, that part of it, I think, is, is a continual challenge just because there's, there's more and more competition and there's, there's constantly a new league or new sport that's, that's coming around. So it's, you know, it's been harder, but I don't think it's ever going to be easy. You, um, you have a finish line as a driver age wise, or do you just no. feel it out every year? Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess for me, it, when, when I feel like I'm a, I'm a liability to my team, then I'll stop. Um, you know, I still feel like I bring value that, I'm fast enough and have the ability to go out and compete for an Indy 500 win. So as long as that holds true, I don't see any reason to stop. You know, it. I, I transitioned from a full-time driver to just running ovals after the 2013 season, and it was frankly just because the team was better than I was on road courses. That wasn't my history, and, you know, I guess it wasn't a hard transition or really that – part of a process to make that decision. So I think it'll feel the same way when, when my time's up on, on the oval side of things, but I still feel like I bring a lot to the team and, and to our partners. And, you know, I really do feel like I've got a, as good of a chance of winning the race this month as there's anyone else, else out there. So as long as I have those feelings and, you know, I know I can be honest with myself because I've done it before that I'll know when it's time. I'm, that's been 10 years since you made that decision. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm old. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I am too. I, I just, it doesn't seem like it's been been that long. And you're right. I mean, you are, and you have been, honest with yourself. Uh, will that make, you know, the ultimate decision to make when you step away, will that make it easier? Or is it still going to be as, as difficult? Because I give you credit for that. Because, you know, not a lot of people would be able, there's no way I could do that. I'd say, no, I'm going to keep on going, keep on going. But you made that decision. You made the decision really, you know, right there in, in the sweet point of, of your racing career. Um, is it going to be tougher to do that when you just, you know, step away for real, when to know that it's time? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it will be at a certain level just because, you know, when I made that decision, I knew that I wasn't done racing, you know, like full go. Um, I was still going to be competing in the 500, which is my main motivator. Um, so it, I'm sure it'll be harder when I know that I'm not going to race an IndyCar again or not run the 500 again. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, when you get to the point to make that decision that, you know, my my intentions are, and, and ever since we started the race team in 2012, was for that to be, you know, my life after driving. And, you know, I'm really blessed that I'm still able to do both. And, you know, when the time comes that, that I'm not driving anymore, hopefully I'll get enough satisfaction from still being involved and, and running the team. And, you know, I'm sure when when May comes around and other guys are, are getting to go run laps at Indy, I'll I'll be jealous. I don't know that any driver ever wants to stop, especially that race. But, you know, all of our time comes to an end at some point, and you just have to accept reality and and create a new normal. Does it make it tougher when, like, great example with Tony Kanaan. And you think that's difficult just doing a one-off. And we've seen this before. Juan Pablo Montoya, one-off. Others have done, like, one-off. And you're not one-off. I mean, you just, you know, do the oval. But does that make it more difficult as a driver? Do you think it would if you were just a one-off driver for the 500? It can be. And I think, some, you know, a lot of it depends on the situation, too. You know, I, I'm fully ingrained in our team and engineers sure. all the time, even even though I'm not driving you know, I for sure think it would be harder if you just came into, if you weren't connected to the team and and weren't a part of, the you know the day to day and all the other events, and, and and there's there's some challenges of not being in the car as much of other guys, but you know that's that's one of the great things about the Indianapolis 500 is the amount of track time and practice that we get, and you know the way the lead up is to the event, it really allows gives everyone the opportunity to, to get fully comfortable and, and back, back in the groove. So I'm sure for some guys it's tough for me, I've been in this rhythm for 10 years now, so it's, it's pretty normal, you know, and I'm ment- mentally and physically prepared for it. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Do you like what Roger Penske's doing with the overall product? Uh, I do. I mean, you know, I think they're, they're definitely putting a lot of effort into it. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen the, the new series on the CW network that they've been doing following our races, but that's going really well. You know, and I know Penske entertainment was in, instrumental in making that happen. So, you know, they're, they're pushing really hard. You know, we've had such a great product for a long time and, you know, haven't been able to convert that into as, as many new fans as we'd hope, but, there's a ton of positives and a ton of momentum. And even at the Grand Prix this last weekend, I thought it was a great crowd and, yeah, I did and too. Uh, from previous years. So there's definitely momentum, um, you know, but you just got to be patient. It doesn't, you don't go from zero to a hundred overnight all the time. And so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think, I think, you know, Roger's clearly a successful guy about everything he touches is successful. So, you know, happy to have him at the helm and, you know, and more importantly, he, he understands, you know, how special this event is and, you know, has carried on the stewardship that, that you know, my father and, and his grandfather had the responsibility of before that. How's Heather? Heather's doing great. I haven't seen her since this morning, but um, <laughs> she's running around with it's our daughter somewhere. Assume and, she's doing um, great, yeah. I'm sitting in a parking lot about to watch a lacrosse practice. 
it's it's kind of my last night of co-parenting ah. and being involved. After tonight, I'm pretty well disconnected from other than saying hi to the kids in the morning. Now you uh you got lacrosse players now, do you? Yeah, I've got one Ryder, our middle plays yeah. lacrosse. Yeah, so it's, we're lacrosse. Where are you guys now. at Zionsville? No, we live in Washington Township. So he's oh. actually he plays on a team called the Saints. It's kind of like a group of Catholic schools. So we're practicing at Arsenal Park, kind of a forty six in college, and okay. play all over the place. But yeah, why did I think you he lived in Zionsville? I thought you lived in Zionsville. I don't know. Weird. Just stereotyping me, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know anything. I rarely know anything whatsoever. I do know this, though, that me and you with Chris Hagan on Sunday night, that no other sports shows have a chance. That's got to be concerning yeah, for them, I don't mean, you think? It, they should be concerned. You know, I'm, I'm friends with all the local guys, but I know, you know, I really enjoy, I really enjoy Chris and, and all the work that we've done together. But yeah, you, you'll, you guys have to connect and maybe see if we can all get on that red couch together versus you coming on <laughs> later in the segment. See, that's one thing that's the pandemic's fun. done, buddy. It's given me the opportunity not to have to go in there. Well, I have to go in, so you can bite the bullet one night. <laughs> When's uh, so when are you allowed to drink? You can't drink again until when? I mean, I don't, I I don't really drink hardly at all in the season. I usually break down once we get the boat on the water at some point in the summer and have a couple cheat weekends. Okay, but, you know, I, it's kind of been my routine to just shut it down for the season and prove to myself that I can and. Um, so yeah. Well, if you win, I go, I go, I go pretty boring from January one till the end of the season. And then I try to make up for it from there through the holidays. If you win, we will do a special remote and I, I you let me get you drunk. Okay. Well, yeah. If you win, can be made. yeah. If you win, would yeah. you do that? I mean, if you win, if you win the 107th, then that would be a special situation where you come out yeah, to my remote and I get you drunk. There's going to be a party for sure. Several. <laughs> several parties. All right. We'll do this again next week, man. It was a pleasure. It was great seeing you yesterday. It was a surprise. I had no idea. I was getting set up from Owen County doing that outside. And uh, all of a sudden, there you were, man. It was great to see you. Yeah, you had a nice backdrop. It looked good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it's always a good time down there. I do that a couple of different times a year, especially on Mother's Day like that. But hey, I appreciate you. We'll do it again next week. You know who we root for around here, so that never changes. I know, and yeah, and I hope it doesn't. All right, buddy. I appreciate yeah, you yeah, dropping in. And, I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy lacrosse too. I'll talk at you next week. Yes, sir. It's uh, Ed Carpenter. Ed Carpenter Racing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We are getting him drunk. If he were to win, you are not going to find true story. You're not going to find a better dude than that right there. That is class of all class. Great hang. No matter if you're talking racing or anything else. It's Ed Carpenter on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pilot. Mark Sheldon, Alice Golden, Jake Query. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Your chance at Aerosmith tickets in the final 30 of this show. You listen for an Aerosmith re-entry. That's your cue to call. Number nine's going to win with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. 
One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Got a reminder for you. Carb Day. Coming up on the 26th, Soul Asylum and your headliner is Brian Adams. Our conversation with Brian Adams last week, really good, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Got to do that. Uh, JMV, to your question a little bit earlier, think about turning left onto 6th Street to Walnut, headed north in Bloomington back in the day, one way to another one way. Uh, Well, I brought this up a little bit earlier because I apparently have been committing a moving violation a number of times because I turn left onto Capitol um, at a red light off of Market Street. And Market Street is a two-way, so apparently that is not a legal maneuver. So Rex tells me a little bit earlier that I can get a ticket in the mail from that. Is that true? Can I get a ticket in the mail from that? Because that would really piss me off if I get a ticket in the mail for that. Now, I'll stop doing it. I just think, all right, is there a reason why i got to sit here with nobody coming, no red line, no pedestrians for this full 30-plus second cycle and then miss the lights at Washington and then miss the light at Georgia? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Maryland. I can save literally three minutes of getting out of downtown if I do that, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get a ticket in the mail. Are they sending tickets in the mail? Uh, I'm not. I mean, unless they catch your like license plate number on camera, I'm not sure if they can. Oh, I'm going to cover that thing up with cardboard <laughs> then. See, that will get you pulled over <laughs> for sure. <laughs> hey, I, I'm here to abide. Don't get me wrong. I am here to abide. Rules are rules. I understand that. But if I can save three minutes here or there on a commute, especially on my way out of town, I think I'm down with it. Ed Carpenter, Ed Carpenter Racing, uh, podcast 1075thefan.com is getting ready for Sun Riders lacrosse game match. Do they call that a match or a game? Lacrosse a match or a game? I'm going to guess match, but I can't say for certain. Lacrosse game or match? It feels like a sport that it would be called a match. All right lacrosse activity is getting underway lacrosse by the way is a growing sport high school wise according to google it's called a game i was wrong it's a game lacrosse game so that's good thank you very much james and uh ed carpenter always really good he'll join us next week as well that podcast 1075thefan.com mark sheldon a little bit about the nl central major league baseball he covered the reds covers the reds for mlb.com a little bit earlier too alex golden setting the pace of course the pacers tomorrow night uh directly involved in the nba draft lottery of course tomorrow night you get western conference finals game one between the Lakers and the Nuggets underway. And we talked about that, the draft lottery tomorrow night. And maybe maybe the fact that there could be some other opportunities looming for the Pacers considering how the seasons have ended for some teams out there. Now, he mentioned Jonathan Kaminga of the Golden State Warriors looking for more playing time that he may not get out in Golden State. And there are always some others that are out there that you're not made aware of. To me, Phoenix, or I should say both Phoenix and Philadelphia, but certainly Philadelphia's over. 
don't get me wrong. I mean, Joel Embiid is still going to be, you know, MVP worthy. He's not going to go anywhere, but they're over. Yeah, James Harden talking about, you know, either getting paid or, you know, going back to Houston. First of all, that's not going to work. Tobias Harris is good. That part's not going to work. Tyrese Maxey, to me, is their second most consistent player on that team. Maybe not by numbers, but as far as growth is concerned, that's the one that I would care about. I think they're done. I think Phoenix is going to be done. So with that in lies some opportunities that maybe you didn't think about at the end of the regular season. We'll see. Uh, Interesting nonetheless. So the NBA draft lottery is coming up tomorrow night. You've got Western Conference Finals Game 1 tomorrow night. East Finals Game 1 coming up on Wednesday. Jason Tatum was fantastic yesterday, and we got to laugh about how Philadelphia went out. The only thing that's worse than that is watching the way that Boston ended up winning that. It's just too bad that both could not go out in similar gag fashion. And what really sucks in the East, I kind of want to see Miami go out in gag fashion as much as I do Boston. So this whole thing sucks. I really only have Denver here. And it's not like I love Denver a great deal. But Denver is, to me, the only reasonable option any of us have. That's too bad. I guess it would be something new, but I don't want the Lakers to win. Anybody else want the Lakers to win? You don't want Boston to win. I like Brad Stevens. I don't want to see Boston win. I don't want to see Miami win. Dracar? Syphilis? Nobody wants to see that. I like the way they play, and I do like Eric Spolster, their coach. But I just don't want to see it from Miami. I actually like their team more than I do their fan base. So I guess we're going with Denver on this thing, right? Hey, JMV, did you notice this? On this date back in 1978, did you have it? Milton Bradley introduced the Simon game at New York Studio 54 with a quirky promotional stunt. It went on to become one of the most popular games of the early 1980s. I did not have Simon. I had Merlin. Merlin was more of a handheld game. Uh, a lot of people had Simon. I was not one of them. What the hell were you doing with Simon at Studio 54? He and Sheehan on top of it. Doing <laughs> up there. Trying to play some Casey and the Sunshine Band on Simon. Now, this dated 1978. Absolutely outstanding. Hey, JMV, this is from John. So I picked up. Is it Fubo? I want to say <laughs> Fubu. Fubo TV? Are you getting me to say something dirty? Fubo TV to watch baseball on Bally and Marquee. But Fubo doesn't carry TNT and TBS. So I'll have to switch again to watch the NBA semifinals. This streaming stuff is dumb as hell. It is. We're all screwed up with TV. Because let's... 
there is no one true absolute. And that's the problem that you have, and especially for sports fans. And I wish that I had a solution for you, but I don't. There's a reason why I've had direct TV since 2000. So I'm going on now 23 years. I'm in the 23rd year of having direct TV, but it's not great. And it's certainly not great in terms of how much I pay every month. It is ridiculous. I should have my own ass whipped for as much as I pay for direct TV every month. And I know that you can say, hey, well, you do it for your job. And I do. I do utilize it in my taxes. What do I write it off? I'm like Kramer. I write everything off. Yeah, I'll write it off. You don't even know what write it off means. Again, write, but I write it off. It is ridiculous what I pay for that. And it has just as many issues as anything else. But what it does have that others can't give me is I know that it's always going to be there. What I'm looking for is going to be there. I utilize a Roku stick in a different room of the house, and I love Pluto TV. I love the options on that, but... I just have gone with DirecTV and that's it. I can't, I have not watched, this is a true story right here and nothing against them at all. I have not watched Wish TV Channel 8 in the better part of three plus years because it's not on DirecTV. I don't know where to get it. I have to go back with the Roku stick and then go over the air stuff. But I've always considered DirecTV and this is not a promotional for DirecTV. It's just, the only option I feel I have to make sure that I have what makes me comfortable in terms of sports and entertainment. But I, it's ridiculous what I pay. I've got all these movie channels, and I watch the same crap over and over again. Seriously, you guys should just beat the crap out of me. I just throw away money. Just to have that comfort. And I would never think about cutting the cord because that looks like a tremendous pain for all of you out there. Quick break, we'll come back. Final time, somebody's going to win some Aerosmith tickets. Aerosmith re-entry, cue to call. Number nine's going to win. We'll set it up for tomorrow's show as well with Jake Query, Alex Golden, Mark Sheldon, and Ed Carpenter. The podcast, 1075thefan.com. Somebody's going to be a big winner on a Monday next. The Ride with JMV. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You know, it's funny. Generationally speaking, most people would suggest this the best in the catalog of Aerosmith. But I bet if you're younger, this song would be most noted at the uh, end of the... uh, of the film, I can't think of it now. With Kurt Russell, the hockey one. Miracle. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, man. Right? When they roll the credits at the end of Miracle, Dream On by Aerosmith is probably most noted. Now, again, younger generationally speaking, that film came out in 2004. And still to this day, Kurt Russell was so good. And his performance as the late Herb Brooks, it was incredible. It was great. I don't know how many films that you will actually watch through the credits because you enjoy the credits. How many, how many 
films out there where you watch for the credits too. That would be one of them. And Dream On by Aerosmith is a part of those credits right there. How many you watch for the credits? Probably not very many, but that would be one. Uh, The farewell tour for Aerosmith is what this is coming up at Gamerage Fieldhouse. What is that? October the 29th. That's on a Sunday, by the way, too. I go early Aerosmith. I didn't mind Aerosmith in the 90s. I did like Get a Grip was good. What It Takes is a good Aerosmith song. I'm not it. I can't stand the song Angel. Janie has got a gun. I'm not a fan of that one either. Uh, Going to be a great show, though. Yeah, what It Takes is a good Aerosmith song, I think. Back in the saddle again. October the 29th, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We'll be doing that all week. Bill, before the end of the show, is at 239-1070. Hello, Billy. JMV, we're tapping out this week, right? Yeah. District Tap Thursday. You going to be there downtown? You betcha I am. It's going to be a good time. The first time I saw Aerosmith was in Assembly Hall, which is as awful as it sounds. It's (laughs) the worst place in the world to see a concert. But they had to to set the stage up facing only one one side of the manned – uh, they were really good. I mean, Seasons of Wither, uh, songs that I tried. What, what, year would have that, what year was that in Assembly Hall in Bloomington? Either 74 or 75. Okay. It was, it was one, of, one of those two. But, uh, uh, but yeah, Steven Tyler came out, and you just kind of thought that you were seeing something a little bit different. But uh, uh, all the songs off that first album, you know, Big Ten Inch was – Yeah, uh, yeah. That was, a, that was one of their big songs as well, so – but I, I didn't want to talk about uh, uh, about that as much as uh, uh, I think that uh, what we saw in the Philadelphia 76ers this weekend was the movie version of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, because Joel Embiid and James Harden are steak knives. Yeah, well, I, I think that there, there's going to be a split. I, I'm going to be interested to see two things, Billy. One is, you know, if the heart – besides Embiid, of that Philly team stays together, and then if Doc Rivers remains the head coach? Well, it, 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 like I heard a lot of people say today, the, the head coach is always the one that's on the shopping block. I mean, they're not going to get rid of uh, they're not going to get rid of Embiid, and maybe, maybe not even Harden, uh, but they are going to get rid of Doc Rivers, and they're going to they're going to bring on somebody else. Uh, I, I think they should bring on Mike Dunleavy Jr. Tell you the truth, want, want to give him a shot. Nothing else seems to seems I, to work. I just I hope that uh, our guy, the man with two brains, P. Dinwiddie, that's Peter Dinwiddie here from Indianapolis, maintains he's a part obviously of that organization over there right now. But uh, just kind of got to wonder. I, I know that that Doc Rivers said yesterday he wants to stay on board. Nothing has been said, but that was still a massive disappointment. They had an opportunity to close that thing out at home and then lost. And then for Doc Rivers, he's lost now seven game sevens over his career, seven or eight, I think. Just kind of makes you wonder. And with that team 
I don't know if this whole thing with James Harden is going to work any further than it is right now. Embiid will stay. Tobias Harris make you wonder about that. Like to me, their second most consistent that I saw over the whole playoffs was Tyrese Maxey. So uh, certainly yeah. that's a piece I would want to be be keeping. But I don't know about the others. So you'd want to, yeah, you definitely want to keep him. And and uh, as far as whether it's John Morant too, um, if anybody reaches out to him. I hope it's former Pacer Steven Jackson because I thought about this today. There's a lot of similarities there, except that, it, except that John Moran was on, was on social media and Steven Jackson was standing in the middle of a parking lot at 3 o'clock in the morning firing a gun off into the air. On the well, there'd be a lot of people that would, would be in trouble had you know, camera type of phone technology existed back then. This is something that, that he – he being John Morant, Billy's going to have to do something with. Everybody says, well, you got to hang around with better people or, you know, people have to intervene. You need intervention, whatever. No, I mean, this is something where he's going to have to grow up and know that he can't be a part of that if he he wants to be who he is in the NBA with the Memphis Grizzlies. It's, you've got to grow up at some point, and he's going to have to do that. That's going to be his decision. It's not going to be the decision of others for him. You just you just really hate, hate to see it happen, but uh, he could turn out to you know Stephen Jackson turned out all right. I mean he's got a, he's on a, a NBA uh, a game analysis show, so he, he could, it could be done and he can rehabilitate himself. But it's just it's just sorry to see. Well, yeah, I mean yeah, he just I mean he did just, and thank you Billy for the call. I'll see you on Thursday. He just he just kind of doing that for show. I mean, really, all he has to do for show is be himself on the basketball floor. That's what everybody wants to see. Now he's got everybody involved wanting to see, you know, this level of jackassery off it. Decision and a decision he's going to have to make on his own. Who won the Aerosmith tickets? You know, Mike's not on there, bro. Kyle Mayhew. Kyle Mayhew. Shout out to Kyle. I know Kyle. I know Martha Stewart's the swimsuit. Sports Illustrated today. Should I see that right? 81 years old. Shout out there. Thank you, Skivvies, for that. Mark Sheldon, Alex Golden, Jake Query, Ed Carpenter, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Have a great night. This show straight at you again tomorrow at 3. Thanks for listening.